Welcome to The Bike Show with me, Jack Thurston. This is the first episode of the new spring season, if the spring ever arrives. It's also the first episode from The Bike Show's new home on the edge of the Brecon Beacons in Abergavenny. Abergavenny is, of course, a cycling capital, a cycling capital of Wales, home to Becky James, the great new hope of Britain on the track. She won four medals at the World Championships, um, which means that if Abergavenny had been competing as a nation, the town would have come just ahead of France in the medals table. In another first, this is the first episode of the show in which I am presenting it as a published author of a cycling book. Uh, My new book called Lost Lanes, 36 Glorious Bike Rides in Southern England is out this week or rather next week, Um, although anyone who's pre-ordered the book via the Bike Show website will have their copy very soon as they were posted out this morning. The book is a guidebook. Um, It's more than that, though. It's really a distillation of the decades that I've spent cycling around the countryside within striking distance of London. Um, Exploring by bicycle, I think, is by far the best way to get to know the places where you live. And I've put together 36 rides, which I think are the best rides that I know in in southeast England. Um, It's a travelogue, there's a description of all the rides, there's photographs, um, 256 colour pages, uh, but online you'll find route information, maps and that kind of thing, so you can actually do the rides yourselves and not just read about them in the book. I'm very proud of it, it's been an enormous amount of work, I'm very grateful to the people who've helped put it together, including a handful of bike show listeners who went out in midwinter to test some of the routes. I'm very grateful to them and I hope people will enjoy it and I hope it will inspire people to get on their bikes this summer and enjoy seeing what is really a beautiful part of the world. Even though so many people live in southern England and the southeast, it's very easy to find your own lost lanes, um, which is the title of the book, and um, disappear into the countryside for a day that's, that's really quite sublime. There'll be more about the book in the coming weeks. And if you want to order it, you can do so from the Bike Show website. And that's definitely the best way to get it. Certainly it's the only way to get it right now until it's stocked in bookshops. The bookshops should be getting their copies in the next couple of weeks. But more importantly, at least from my perspective, if you buy it from the Bike Show's website, it helps me an awful lot more than if you buy it um, elsewhere, um, especially from Amazon. Um, while Amazon do provide a lovely service they do drive a very hard bargain and any savings you make at Amazon are usually invariably at the expense of the author and the publisher so um, please buy it direct from the website or order it via your local bookshop another place to buy it um, or just come along for a drink is at the launch party we're having at Rye Books in East Dulwich 
Um, and that is on Thursday, the 11th of April, from about 7.30. There'll be a ride led by Southwark cyclists from the Southwark Needle on the south side of London Bridge, I think leaving around about 6.30, um, but check on the Southwark cyclists' website, and they'll be riding down through the borough of Southwark to the party. And uh, come along, there'll be copies there. There'll also be copies of the cover art print, which um, we've had produced, and there's more information about all of that on The Bike Show's website, www.thebikeshow.net. Enough of my book. Let's get on with the rest of the show. Ain't no sunshine when she's gone. It's not warm when she's away. Ain't no sunshine when she's gone. And she's always gone. We're returning to the streets of London with the very sad news of yet another cyclist killed by a lorry. This time in Victoria Street, um, right there in uh, central London. And it was a woman killed, from what I understand, by a construction vehicle. A couple of months ago, I attended a small vigil in the city of London at the spot where Cynthia Barlow's daughter was run over and killed by a cement mixer. Cynthia has gone on to found Road Peace, which is a terrific campaigning charity representing the victims of road crashes. And she has done more than anybody to improve safety for cyclists. But there's still an awful lot more to be done. At the vigil, about 40 of us stood around in the cold and dark, holding our candles, while the names of people who died on the roads were read out. It was a very emotional moment and really upsetting to hear each of those names read out and to imagine the hurt and and tragedy that affected those people's families and friends and, of course, lives ended far too soon. After the vigil, I spoke to Cynthia and to Bill Chidley, who, as an ex-London bicycle messenger, has also been following the issue of HGVs or lorries killing cyclists. I began by asking Cynthia why she thought it was important to hold vigils like the one we were at. I think it's just absolutely unacceptable to still have uh, deaths of cyclists and pedestrians involving lorries when we already know how to stop them. I mean, it's just so stupid to tolerate the most appalling deaths of people. When we have safety technology, we know what we need to do about all these deaths and we just need to get on with it. Um, Fortunately, I do think there is a bit of a momentum now. Uh, Transport for London has just had a report done on construction vehicles in London um, and it still is. My daughter was killed by a concrete mixer lorry and sadly it's still 
still is disproportionately construction industry vehicles that are involved in the most serious incidents. There's now been a report done on that and what needs to happen and Peter Hendy at TfL has said that he is going to take it forward and does want to get things done. So I'm hoping that there is a momentum and this is part of that. We must make sure that these things actually do happen. People say that the personal is political and it's never more the case than, than in this issue where people are drawn into this subject because of a personal tragedy that's blighted and totally transformed their lives. H- how do you keep going, Cynthia, with this issue? Because I keep hearing the stories that have happened to other people and I'm just so appalled at the way deaths are treated it's absolutely unacceptable every time I hear of another one I just get all geared up again and I'm not willing to leave it Uh, this afternoon I was talking to a lady in Birmingham um, whose daughter was killed 13 year old daughter was killed on a pedestrian crossing on her way home from school by a lorry which was rolling forward the driver had been texting for about 20 minutes prior to stopping at the pedestrian crossing But because he wasn't actually texting at the point he hit her, they've decided that they can't prosecute him for anything to do with the death. He's only being prosecuted for careless driving. And the death is not even going to be mentioned in court. This is absolutely unacceptable. We need the truth about these things. We need to acknowledge what's happening and deal with it. Bill, you've been covering the issue for decades since you came to it through the deaths of a number of fellow bike messengers um, in the 80s and 90s yeah I mean yeah so I'm well into my third decade of reading and writing about it and actually I'm sick of this I mean this is 21 years now since I first did um, was part of a memorial ride for someone who'd been killed on a bike by a lorry turning left so 21 years and honestly I there is a lot of hope because there's a lot of attention on it but really nothing's changed I went back and read, reread a report that was written in 1994, and it's still, you know, it's like eight a year in London, cyclists killed by, by lorries. Now, it was nine back then. So really, what's changed? Not a great deal. We, as Cynthia said, we know what the problem is. It's, you know, 70, 80% construction lorries that are, that are causing these deaths. So why haven't we called for a lorry ban? Why isn't there a lorry ban? You know, that's what we should be asking. We should be asking for a lorry ban. No, no more fiddling around the edges. Technical fixes, lower cabs, more mirrors, fours. Sorry, I'm still think that the only thing that will really concentrate the minds of the construction industry is a lorry ban because that will hit them in the pocket, and that that is what will change them. It's the it's the economics of it. it right now, it's cheap. It costs virtually nothing to kill a cyclist. If you make it really expensive, i.e. by threatening a lorry ban, people will stop doing it. Is that a strategy you'd support, Cynthia? I don't think it's realistic to expect anybody to ban lorries. However, what we can do is insist when we give out contracts, and Crossrail has done this, so it is possible, when, when giving out contracts, and I, ha- I was in a meeting yesterday with the London boroughs about this, when giving out construction contracts, specify in the contracts what you want the lorries to do. Specify if you want them to have safety technology, use particular routes, whatever. And then they know that they're not going to get the work unless they comply with that. So you can, you can influence the way they behave. And does the evidence suggest that 
the companies that do follow those best practices aren't killing people certainly fatalities are reduced and it does it, it unfortunately in the construction industry uh, there's an awful lot of self-employed owner drivers uh, not parts of big companies and, and and if you just concentrate on the big companies you're not going to re- reach those people down the supply chain just the smaller owner operators and they, they are disproportionately involved in that i, I was uh, last year in an inquest um it, of the inquest of Svetlana Tereshenko, who was killed at Bow Roundabout, uh, that the police decided that not to prosecute the driver because although he was on his phone at the time, um, they said that because it was a hands-free, they couldn't prosecute him. Uh, so he was talking on his phone. He'd been talking... It wasn't even a work call. He'd been chatting to his father for seven minutes when he hit Svitlana. The coroner asked the driver in court, uh, in the inquest, um, if he had a daily system of checking that everything was working, visible, all the lights, the indicators, everything was all working properly. And he said, no, he didn't do that because it wasn't necessary. Yes, it is. And I'm not going to stop nagging. I'm going to make sure that all these things happen. Yesterday we saw the end of the political career of a cabinet minister who admitted perverting the course of justice and there was a lot of hoo-ha about it in the press and the TV and the radio about Chris Hoon and, and, and what's happened to him. Nobody seems to say anything about the fact that this guy was a serial speeder serial mobile phone user driving a car you know, these are the things that kill people I mean perverting the course of justice is a serious offence, we need a legal system and we need people to tell the truth to the police but we seem to have a kind of amnesia or, or a sort of myopia in relation to the numbers of people who die on the roads where, where does this come from? We do, we do need to check the previous driving records of drivers. I brought this up at the meeting yesterday. Um, Anish Patel's wife was killed at the Elephant and Castle a few years ago. The driver in that case had 44 previous driving convictions. Why on earth was he allowed to take a job as a lorry driver? He shouldn't have been. We must, we must make sure that the firms also check uh, licences and criminal records before employing people. I think that the, the, the thing about the way that road crime is treated, there, there can be a cultural change because if you look at how drink driving is viewed now compared to 30 years ago, it is completely unacceptable to dr- have a drink and then drive. So you can affect a cultural change. But I mean, one of the things I, I, I'm wondering about, since they brought it in, how many people have been prosecuted for causing death by careless? I bet it's a handful. I, I mean, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I, I, I haven't been following since it was brought in, but I suspect it will be a handful. And that's, you know, that's a really powerful message. Like, you cause a death by momentary inattention, you're going to get a jail sentence. You know, where instead of like as happened with Seb, you know, a, a month's wages as a fine and three points. I mean, three points, three points. So you can do it three more times. In effect, you can kill someone, and then only then will you be prevented from driving. And we also have a paradox where these construction lorries are on the building site subject to a health and safety regime, which is completely different from the regime that they're subject to when they're out on the public highway. Absolutely, and that's the point I made at the time because my daughter was killed here on on this junction. She was about one yard outside the building site. Why should that make any difference to the responsibility of the developer? And that's a point I've made consistently. A couple of years ago, the health and safety executive did a consultation um, on 
how they should, what they should be interested in and that kind of thing. And I said in my response to that that they ought to take an interest in road deaths because at the moment road deaths are a classic elephant in the room, a problem that's so big they can't face looking at it. I was ignored then. I'm not going to be ignored now because the TRL report has said just that. The HSE needs to get a hold of this one. And what was it? Because I was in a meeting with you where the HSE thing was brought up and uh, the reason that, uh, I'm not wrong in saying that the reason that the HSC doesn't um, take it on is because it's just too expensive. They need ten times the staff. Well, was, it, was it something like that? Was it, that was a figure. Also, something... also they say it's, just a, it's a police matter, nothing to do with us. Yeah. No, it's not. If it's work-related driving, it is to do with them, and they've got to start taking responsibility for it. And the TRL report has said that, so I want some action on that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to belabor the point about the HSC, but... One of the provisions um, of you know, workplace safety is when a lorry is backing onto a site, they have someone called a banksman. Now, a banksman, it goes back years and years and years, I think, the term. But a banksman is there to, to make sure the lorry doesn't run anyone over when it's on the site. Right? So why haven't they got someone walking alongside the lorry down the street making sure that no one's going to go, hey, no, no. I mean, well, they didn't, is, that, didn't, is that really I mean, Didn't lorries used to have a sort of driver's mate who would yes, be able to yeah. look in the mirrors and things like that? And, and you know, the, the, the vehicles have got bigger, the staff costs have been pushed down and down. You know, we and we pay the price collectively for the people we lose. Yes, we do, we do, absolutely, we do, and and there are things that you can do about that. There is safety technology that's developing all the time. There's some new safety technology, uh, a, a camera system, a new system that's got cameras all around the vehicle, but the technology merges it into one picture, so the driver's only got to look at one place and see everything that's around him, um, and. Uh, that combined with warning signals and all that kind of thing can make a difference. Let's get on with it. Let's do it. All right, Cynthia, you're an example to us all. You're going to keep going this year. What would you like people listening to do? What can they do now to help build a head of steam behind what it is that you're doing? Donate to Road Peace. Donate to Road Peace. <laughs> Thanks very much, Phil. Uh, but, but also think about themselves a third of the fatalities on our roads every year are work related please everybody who is driving for work think about what you're doing and think about what you can do to make yourself safe in relation to other news other road users because that's your responsibility i was talking there with cynthia barlow of road peace and bill chidley now it's not just road peace who are campaigning to reduce the danger to cyclists and pedestrians from lorries and heavy goods vehicles. The London Cycling Campaign is also at it and has been for a number of years. I spoke to Mike Cavanagh about the LCC's work in this area and he began by explaining the importance of getting lorry drivers to see the roads from the perspective of cyclists and that included getting lorry drivers to ride bikes around London to see what it's like from the other side of the windshield. Empathy is a very, very important uh, concept. If you if you can get people to understand what it's like to be in someone else's position, to understand what it's like to be vulnerable, then that's the, an ideal way to to reduce danger. And of course, when someone is driving a thirty-two ton truck, as sadly we've seen today, that presents an awful lot of danger to cyclists, but not just to cyclists, but also to pedestrians. So, what luck have you had getting lorry drivers? onto their bikes has there been much resistance uh, from them and the, and the, and the organizations that represent lorry drivers 
I've actually been to along to a, a couple of um, cyclist awareness training sessions, probably in a, in a room sort of 10 to 15 lorry drivers, probably only one or two of them would ride a bike, usually at the weekend, sometimes with the kids. Um, there wouldn't be lorry, very few cyclist commuters within that group. Uh, there'd actually be a, you know, a, a fair amount of hostility and a, a lack of understanding of cyclists about cycling. And these, these sessions actually start with a discussion and it's a discussion you know, have a bit of a whinge about cyclists. What do what do they do that you don't like? What they do, and then a bit uh, an attempt by the instructors to to try and spread a little bit of awareness of sometimes why cyclists ride in the way that they do. Sometimes when they're taking the lane, a lorry driver might say that you know they're in the way that you know they're doing the wrong thing. It it starts at the very basic a discussion and an understanding, and that's even before you get on the bicycle. Going back to your your point about how much luck we've had getting. Uh, haulage companies and and, um, and government organizations to to adopt cyclist awareness training we're we're pleased with the progress it could be better but considering that four or five years ago this was a, a concept that would probably have had you laughed out of the room if you said we're going to put a lorry driver on a bike it just wouldn't have been taken seriously at all there were some uh, councils in london which adopted this very early lambeth was one hammersmith and fulham was also one these these were the early adopters, and they 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 saw the sense in it. They saw that there were there was a way of reducing road danger by putting lorry drivers on bikes. And since then, since uh, two thousand and eight, when Lambeth were the first ones to take uh, take this on board, thirteen councils in London now give their um, their drivers cyclist awareness training. That's a huge you know huge step forward. <clears throat> it's not it's not perfect. There's thirty three councils or there's three uh, London authorities. There's some way to go. But every time we go and see and we go and speak with um, a, a council, we can point to the councils that are doing it, um, and we can speak to the, the the contractors, people like Veolia, who have taken this on board and are, are giving their drivers that kind of training. And so, what have been the reactions typically of lorry drivers after they've spent some time on a bicycle? It is fascinating to hear the discussions towards the end of the day when you, you go to one of these full day sessions. Um, at the beginning of the day, they're, they're perhaps a little uh, a bit of lack of understanding. Perhaps some of them are a bit resentful um, towards the, the you know the inevitable conflicts that happen on the roads when we're asked to share the, the road space. Um, at the end of the day, there's, there's a lot more understanding. I mean, quite a few of them in the, in the session I went to were actually talking about getting a bicycle. They were talking about taking advantage of, they were asking about the, the council cycle to work scheme. Um, you know, how can I get a bike? You know, what a great way to get around. Um, and that's in the space of a few hours. Um, it's, <clears throat> it's, you know, I, I don't, you know, as a cyclist myself, I don't think that's particularly surprising. Once you've been out on a bike and, um, uh, you know, especially if it's a sunny day, you know, it's, it's like being a kid again. Uh, it's a, it, it doesn't take a huge amount uh, to, to cross that barrier from being not understanding to actually having that empathy, which is so essential. And so this policy has been for local councils, so for their drivers and for their contractors. But what about all the construction vehicles which aren't presumably covered by you know, the council scheme? They're not bin men, they're not um, doing council business. How do you reach those companies and not just the biggest companies but then the owner operator subcontractors who just might just be a one-man band and not part of uh, some big organization that you can go along and and and, and lobby to, to to do it how do you reach those drivers because those at least the t- statistics would suggest that those are the drivers that are disproportionately killing and maiming cyclists we're aiming to reach those people in the private sector through councils and also uh, i must mention that transport for london as one of the major uh, haulage um, um, uh, purchases 
of, of haulage services in London has also adopted cyclist awareness training um, through, through our efforts, through lobbying over the last few years. So any, any haulage company that wants to work for Transport for London, and if you can imagine these aren't just bin lorries, these are, you know, we're talking about digging up roads and putting in new roads and, and large infrastructure projects. Anyone who wants to work for Transport for London, their lorries have to have this on-bike training. And that's also true for, uh, for, for um, several councils, um, a, a growing number of councils. And councils don't just run bin lorries. Of course, bin lorries are, are probably the most visible thing that they do, but they also maintain roads. You know, there are tens of thousands of kilometers of, of council roads in London, which all need maintained. They have to carry aggregates around. They have to uh, carry uh, equipment around. Um, so we're, we're kind of aiming to, to get to the private sector because the councils and Transport for London hire the private sector. We see this as a way in because Transport for London and the councils are responsive to campaigning. They, you know, they, uh, we, we've had um, nearly 3,000 people write to their council in the last few months calling on them to take our Safer Lorry, Safer Cycling pledge. Um, and councils are responding. Um, when we started the campaign, um, there was only probably one council, if I can call it that, the City of London Corporation, which came up to scratch, we thought, as far as the, the safety equipment it had on its lorries and the cyclist awareness. Um, we've now had seven pledges to come up to that standard. And, we, you know, and we're working on others. We're hoping there's going to be more all the time. You mentioned the technology there that's on board the lorries. Yeah. Do you think that's a big problem, that these are inherently dangerous vehicles? And no matter how much training a driver has it's going to be very difficult to negotiate the streets of london without putting people on bikes and people on foot at risk i actually think the answer to that is no i think um, if i went out on a limb here i would say it is possible to drive a lorry safely in london it's more difficult to drive one that doesn't have the right safety equipment that doesn't have the right mirrors that doesn't have sensors perhaps but i think it is possible quite often the the, the blind spot defense is 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 just it's used it's used indiscriminately and looking at the evidence from uh, a large number of lorry crashes over the last few years, there are certainly crashes where the blind spot defense doesn't seem justified. It's too often it's just wheeled out as if uh, if you're driving one of these lorries, you know, you would expect to hit someone. Whereas I, I don't think that's true. I think if these lorries are driven carefully and well, as they are by many drivers, but sometimes not, then cyclist lorry collisions should not take place. Now, that doesn't mean there aren't things that we can do to improve the designs. And some of you might have seen recently, LCC put out a, a safer urban lorry design, which had much better visibility. We'd love to see these out on the streets. Um, and in the meantime, there are uh, other technologies that can be used. Um, we saw recently a, a 360 degree camera system, which uses kind of like large uh, fisheye lenses, which gives a, a slightly distorted view, but a, a view all around the lorry. And also the, the, the sensors, which are in place, many of us have heard ourselves while we're cycling around, the sort of the beeps and the, the left, lorry turning left sounds, the full set of mirrors, which of course every lorry ought to have, um, and the cameras. You can use these to make it safer, but I would still say that it is possible to drive one of these lorries safely in London, even in a busy city like this. Let's talk a little bit about this safer lorry uh, design that the London Cycling Campaign has come up with. I don't know whether it's taken its cue from the excellent um, street design visualisations that you did as part of the Love London Go Dutch campaign, which were really great ways of communicating what you wanted very quickly and presenting people with an alternative vision of the way London could be. And, and you've got this lorry that's been mocked up 
is it just simply a matter of someone having drawn it or, or what's gone into um, this design? Uh, I've got it in front of me here. Uh, obviously difficult to, um, to have on the radio, but um, it looks the front of it looks a little bit like a bus. Um, it's got a lot of visibility all the way around. The, 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 the side um, are pretty much made of glass um, or plastic or whatever it is, um, and they're very large windscreen at the front. It, it looks a lot easier for the driver to see all around the cab. I actually don't mind saying that we, we've taken that design from existing lorries. Um, um, it, that technology is out there at the moment. You know, we're very keen to emphasize this. This isn't a, a concept drawing. It's not one of those kind of like crazy curvy sports cars that you see, which will never be turned, or bicycles for that matter, which will never be turned into a, into a production model. These kind of lorries do exist, or at least elements of them exist. And we've, we've married the elements of the high visibility cab. As you say, the lorry driver is, is much lower down. The glass around him is much larger, so he can see much more around him. That that cab design is currently being, I've seen a couple today actually cycling around London. They're actually being used on bin lorries at the moment. And the reason that they're, they're, they're popular with bin lorries is because um, when refuse lorries are driving around, they're surrounded by people. They're obviously surrounded by people picking up the bins and moving around and getting in and out of the vehicle. So it's essential that the driver has, has excellent visibility at all times. But we think that same principle should be, should be put out for construction lorries. I mean, if you're cycling in the vicinity of a construction lorry, you can see how high the cab is, how high the driver is. If you're, if you're cycling on his left side, if you're unlucky enough to be in the, in, the, in the risk zone, in that front left area, perhaps if the lorry has come up behind you and overtaken you and put you in that position, um, it's very difficult to see the driver. So our safer urban lorry is an attempt to address that. And, and one thing that isn't immediately obvious, the glass is, you can see straight away in the picture, there's, there's large windows actually that go all the way down to the floor in the door and at the front um, the glass is much larger as well, but it's also uh, the, the whole lorry is a little bit lower. Um, <clears throat> um, it's I think it's about 40, 50 centimeters lower, um, so the clearance is much lower. Um, this allows us, uh, well, it's for two reasons. It's it's so the driver can be positioned lower, can, so he can be closer, um, uh, closer to people around him and have better visibility rather than being way up on a pedestal. But it also means that if you are unfortunate to be uh, struck by one of these lorries. Um, you're much more likely to be pushed to the side rather than dragged under the wheels. And that's a design, again, like you say, which is used um, on buses. Buses have a very, well, considering their size, they have a very low clearance. And obviously buses are surrounded by people on foot all the time, So, and, and uh, crashes are sadly not that rare with, with pedestrians. So, that, again, that's the reason why we've chosen to have this lower. And what about the idea of banning heavy goods vehicles at certain times of the day, whether that be all day or just at the morning rush hour, that kind of thing. We already have a lorry ban at night, um, which allows only certain lorries in that request a permit to come into London. And that's for reasons of noise pollution. But we don't have any any ban on lorries entering that will save lives. So, you know, it almost seems as if a good night's sleep is more important to the people who make the rules than whether people live or die. It seems like the, the priorities are a little bit odd. The current situation where lorries are banned during the night uh, has been in place for a long time. We would like to see that revisited. The current situation where, where 
all the lorries basically go out on the street. Uh, I think it's 7 a.m. very early, very early in the morning uh, from greater from the outside of Greater London, and then head into the centre of London, where a lot of the construction projects are taking place. Not far from us at London Bridge, for example, or um, in Westminster, where I was today, around Victoria Station, where this crash took place. And then they all arrive in central London at 8, 8.30, uh, just when all the cyclists are going to work, when all you know, the Londoners are, 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 people are walking around on the streets. This is you know, the most dangerous time. Um, it, it does seem like we've created this problem, perhaps trying to solve one problem, but creating another. Um, we'd certainly like to look at the times um, that lorries and, and uh, <clears throat> by all means, if, if, there were, um, if we could have overnight lorry deliveries, um, we would like to see that. That was Mike Cavanagh of the London Cycling Campaign. That's it for this first edition in the new 2013 spring season of The Bike Show. Thanks for listening. I'll be back again next week. If you're around on Thursday evening, come along to the book launch. It's at Rye Books. That's in East Dulwich from about 730 Or, as I said earlier, there'll be a ride down from London Bridge led by Southwark cyclists leaving around about 6.30. Until then, thanks for listening. Goodbye.